0: Hi, travelers, you can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. Okay, today is Thursday, December 7th. Awesome show today. Got Scott Abraham on from 7ABC in Washington, D.C. Gonna break down the Commanders. Pretty disappointing season they've had so far, all things considered, of course, uh, especially on the defensive side. We'll break that all down with him. We'll break down Capitals, Nationals, and even the Wizards a little bit. Kind of rapid fire style for the other three teams, but really go into detail with the Commanders. What went wrong this year I mean, and then what they need to do going forward to get back to, uh, well, finally get to winning ways. I mean, the fan base has been very patient for a long time, which we we also break down with him. Uh, awesome, awesome interview. Going to also talk all things college football today, guys. Already talked about the playoff rankings that happened oh, on Sunday. Um, that's, uh, that we talked about that already, but we'll break down the championship weekend. We just had as well as give some predictions into some of the bowl games coming up and break down the bowl games that will be coming up as well. And about, uh, starting in about like two weeks here. First though, we have to start with Thursday night football. Do we Unfortunately, at have to start with Thursday night football probably will be the worst game of, uh, of the, it could be the worst game of the season. It could be the worst primetime game of the season for sure. Point total, 31.5, lowest total of the season. It would be the lowest total for a game since 2008 and tie the mark for the lowest total set for a primetime game since at least 2000. Uh, If the over-under for this matchup remains at 31.5, it will rank as the 14th lowest uh, point total for a regular season NFL game since 1986. Of course, barely zappy, Mitch Trubisky facing off against each other. Pats are terrible, and Steelers offense is terrible. I really don't have much else to say about this game. It's going to be pretty, pretty ugly.
1: This is... uh... If you have better things to do on this Thursday, I would suggest going ahead and doing that because the Steelers' offense has been terrible to watch. The Patriots' offense has been even worse. They've had three straight games that they allowed 10 points or fewer and lost all three of those games. Like, if I'm a defensive Mm -hmm. player, I'm throwing hands in the locker room because Mac Jones, Bailey Zappia, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback, that offense is just disgusting. Like, all you got to know about the Patriots – is when they put up the graphic for Thursday night football last week. They had, I think it was T.J. Watt for the Steelers, and they couldn't find a Patriots player to put, so they put Dolich. Uh That's kind of symbolic of their season. Yeah, this is yep. not. This game is not going to be pretty.
2: I saw that too. It's going to. It might be another six nothing game. Could be. Or
0: maybe even worse. Who knows? Maybe a 0-0 tie. I don't even know if this ever even happened, but if it was going to happen, it would be this game. Worst scoring offense in the NFL, uh, Patriots. Uh, that's no surprise. Steelers are really not that much off. I mean, they can't be much far off from that either. They've been gaining some some yardage uh, since firing Matt Canada, but just really still can't score. That's my only other takeaway about the Steelers. I mean, ever since firing Matt Canada, you know, a couple weeks ago, they've they have been gaining more yardage, but it it hasn't been really showing on the scoreboard. And the injury to Kenny Pickett obviously does not help as well. Uh, if I was a Steeler fan, I, I want to get your guys' takes on this. I mean, if I was a Steeler fan, I would be excited to see Mitch Trubisky at least give us something different, at least another spark on the team.
1: I don't know if excited and Mitch Trubisky belong in the same sentence. I mean, we've seen Mitch Trubisky last year. He started over Kenny yeah. Pickett, and there's a reason Kenny Pickett became the starter is because Mitch Trubisky didn't really go out and get the job done. I, I see what you're saying because, I mean, the Kenny Pickett mm-hmm. experiment – has not been good, let's face it. Jake Browning has more 300-yard passing games than Kenny Pickett, and Jake Browning started three games. So kind of tells yep. you all you need to know about Kenny Pickett's NFL career to this point. Um, I, I don't know. Also, I'm not sure that it matters who's playing quarterback for this Steelers team because their offensive line issues are prevalent. The running mm-hmm. game's been inconsistent at best, and you know George Pickens and Deontay Johnson are very good receivers. But with that offensive line, it's hard for anybody to be good.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of running the ball. Running the ball will be plenty on this game for sure. Going to be ugly. Let's move on to college football, guys. Championship weekend. Awesome championship weekend, all things considered. We'll start with Oregon, Washington. Yeah. Uh, Oregon could not stop the run. Pretty bad showing by Oregon, all things considered. Penix balled out as well on in the air. Uh, off day for Bowne Knicks as well when just uh, probably the worst day to be an off day. Uh, of course, Oregon losing did end up getting out of the college football playoffs and Washington is now at the second seed going in to playoff playoff a uh, matchup they have going on. But what was your overall takeaway from this game? Uh, like I said, Oregon really just could not stop the run. They just Washington just continued to run the ball on them and had really no answer. No,
1: that's what surprised me is that Washington for the second half of the year, they've been a running team, maybe not 50, 50, but it's more like 60, 40, or maybe 55, 45. Michael Penix threw for 319 yards, had his typical great game. Dylan Johnson, 28 carries, 152 yards, had two touchdown rushes, also threw for a touchdown. That was really the difference in this game, is that Washington was able to consistently run the ball, and Oregon was not. And that's a little surprising, because Oregon's identity is built more toward the running game than Washington's identity. But we talked about the last three meetings now between these teams, three-point wins, all of them by Washington. And now the Huskies get to go to the playoff. Oregon, unfortunately for them, on the outside looking in. I said this last week, the line, Oregon being favored by 10 points after Washington beat them earlier in the year was certifiably insane, and Washington just showed you again why that was the case. Jalen McMillan, Roman Dunsay also had big games. Washington, I think, should have been the number one seed in the playoffs, but they've got an opportunity to go win a national championship because they're going to have the best quarterback of anybody in the college football playoff.
0: Yeah. um, Oregon's rushing defense, too, was one of the best in the nation. They only gave up 92.6 yards per game, and it was the seventh best i think in the nation going into that matchup against washington uh you mentioned dylan johnson uh he alone in the fourth quarter 80 yards ran the clock out they couldn't stop him in the fourth quarter uh amazing amazing catches uh by the wide receiver core for washington in general just amazing catches Penix throwing really tight balls, firing on all cylinders, all things considered, and just really just awesome pass, you know, know, just the pass game in general for Washington. Uh, Penix threw for 319 yards, one touchdown, 27 of 39, and only one interception. Um, Yeah, Jalen, you mentioned Jalen McMillan too, Zach, as well, nine catches, 131 yards. Roman Dunze also always explosive as well, eight catches for 102 yards. So, Washington – I mean, what do you think, Zach, because me and Justin talked about it on Tuesday's show a little bit, but do you think Washington, after this game, is deserving of a second seed in this playoffs? If they play like they did today, or not today, over the weekend, um, they definitely could be a second seed. What yeah, do you Yeah, think?
1: I think they should have been the number one seed because they had a better resume at the end than Michigan did, and they've beaten Oregon twice, they've beaten Utah, they've beaten a lot of good teams, and I think this team can absolutely win a national championship because they've got that running game – uh, the defense has gotten a little better as the season's gone along, and they've got the best quarterback in the, pa- the college football playoff in Michael Penix. Washington can absolutely win it. Uh,
0: in my last takeaway, um, Bo Nix, uh, unfortunately, like I said, had probably one of his worst games of his career, 21 for 31. He was on pace to break Mac Jones' single-season completion percentage record at 77.4 uh, after this game last Friday night. It is now seventy-seven point two percent. Kind of crazy to think, all things considered. Mac Jones has the single-season completion percentage record uh, in college. Considering how things turn out now, speaking, you know, we just touched base on the Patriots game, but uh, just from the start, Bonix just looked like he was completely off, and uh, one of his uh, only completing one of his five first passes, which of course led to a bad start to the game, a bad momentum to start off the things. Oklahoma State, Texas. Game was never really close. Uh, Texas got out fast and never looked back, never took the foot off the gas. Quinn Ewers, historic performance. Video game numbers, first half, stacking up 354 passing yards and four passing scores. Highest in the game this season in only one half for him. Texas defense showed up big too. Um, I mean, like I said, this game really was never close and uh, that's all my biggest takeaway from it. I think with this past performance, Similar to Washington, they definitely deserved to be in the college football playoffs. Uh, And what are your – I mean, any other takeaways from this game besides the fact that Texas was just completely dominant? Yeah,
1: this is the Texas team we've been waiting to see for a while. And we've we've now seen it Mm -hmm. the last couple games against Texas Tech and against Oklahoma State. They were winning some close games for a while, but that was without Quinn Ewers. Now they've got him healthy, and you see the immediate difference. Almost 350 yards, you mentioned, in the first half. Three touchdowns just – Never in doubt this game. And, and you know, Kellen Robinson at two touchdowns. C.J. Baxter had a touchdown replacing the injured Jordan Brooks. Texas is as complete as any team in college football. And all the talk about Alabama, Texas went to Alabama, beat them by 10 earlier in the season. And Texas is playing as well as they have all season long. They That Washington-Texas game I think is going to be a fantastic Sugar Bowl game, fantastic semifinal game. And the one mm-hmm. thing I will say, though, Texas secondary can be had. Washington is obviously one of the best passing teams in the country, but Washington's defense has had their struggles stopping the run. Texas is a very good running team. I think that's about an even matchup. Oklahoma State was just kind of left there to play victim to Texas, who needed to make a statement, and they did.
0: Yeah, definitely. uh, Like I said, Texas showed up big time in this game. They – Oklahoma State couldn't run the ball down the field or well, literally run and they had trouble passing as well. It just absolutely stuffed them. Uh, and yeah, this game was never closed. Texas absolutely just manhandled Oklahoma State. But you're right, though. It's I, their secondary for Texas is their weaker part of their defense. And we all saw and know how Washington can pass the ball. We saw it Friday night and we've been seeing it all season long with Michael Penix at the front there. So, you know, it's going to be an awesome matchup between Washington and Texas coming up. Florida State, Louisville, biggest storyline is really Florida State being left out of the playoffs, despite this win and despite going undefeated. And it just kind of continues to show ACC is not going to respect or the committee, playoff committee is not going to respect the ACC. Uh, I, I mean, I don't really know how much else they have to say about this, Zach. I'm sure you have some thoughts on this game and. Really, we didn't get your thoughts on FSU being out of the playoffs, especially uh, you know being in the ACC with Louisville. Yeah, we
1: talked about it on air the last couple of days. I, I think it's an absolute travesty that Florida State got left out because the mm-hmm. one thing that's not subjective is the one-loss record. You know, They have a scoreboard on mm-hmm. Saturdays, and the team that has more points on that scoreboard gets awarded a victory. And Florida State did that 13 out of 13 times this year. And I don't care if it's with Jordan Travis. I don't care if it's with the third-string quarterback. They were able to win games in a multitude of ways. They won their last couple games because of their defense. They won with their running game. And the quarterback did just enough. You know, whatever happened to, we always like to use this refrain too, complete football team. Florida State has showed they're a complete football team without Jordan Travis, and they don't get rewarded for that. I think it's insane. Now, as far as this game was concerned, it was ugly with Capital U because Louisville couldn't move the ball across the street. Florida State's Man. offense struggled. But Louisville was coming into this game averaging, you know, 35, 36 points a game. And Florida State shut them down. That should be a credit to Florida State. Not an insult to Louisville and not an insult to, well, Florida State didn't look the part. Well, you know, the eye test, I think, is the most overrated metric used in all of sports. Florida State's 13-0. and They're one of three undefeated Power 5 conference champs. They absolutely should have been in the college football playoff. There's no question yep. about that.
0: No, it's, uh, you mentioned the completeness of the team, FSU. FSU allowed only six points uh, against Louisville, 800, uh, 188 yards. Average uh Louisville only averaged 2.68 yards per play and were three on eighteen on first on on third downs, excuse me. Uh yeah, FSU just looked absolutely dominant. Offense got the job done, but defensively, especially uh just like you said, a complete game by FSU. And you know, my question for you, Zach, do you think uh they would be in the playoffs if they were in the SEC or Big Ten? Yeah, they would FSU? They
2: absolutely would. That's the bias. That is the bias. Towards the SEC and the Big Ten. I mean this I mean, it's it's just weird why the why the ACC yeah. gets left out like that. And the SEC and the Big Ten and even the Pac twelve, well the Pac twelve is overachieving in my opinion this year. It's probably the best conference in college football, but this is the SEC bias. Alabama, that's why they got in. That's why Alabama got in. Yeah. Got a few
1: things to say as far as make or fake or later about that.
0: Over the weekend was really the most I've watched FSU play really all season long. And I was so impressed by him. I mean, completely dominant on the line of scrimmage, uh, swarmed the ball and were more the physical team, all things considered. I mean, for pass rushing like crazy seven sacks, 14 tackles. Um, I mean, Louisville came into the game allowing about two sacks and only about four to five tackles a game. And, uh, those those were both more than doubled uh, alone in this matchup. So, yeah, I was really surprised by FSU hate seeing them out and uh, just how it how it rolls sometimes, but you know the twelve team playoff structure came a year too late unfortunately for FSU fans. Uh rest of the games uh, we can kind of breeze through these um Michigan, Iowa, the game was terrible. yeah. That there's no nothing to say about this. No one thought this game would be close, and it wasn't close at all. Iowa got literally blown out, uh, completely shut out, and uh, Michigan just completely dominated them. I don't really even have anything else to say about them. Not really. Yeah, <laughs> no, not really. SMU, Tulane, Kevin Jennings for SMU played pretty well, 266 yards from the scrimmage. Uh, SMU's defense, that was pretty um I, I was pretty impressed by as well mm-hmm. uh held held two lane to only 31 yards of rushing that's far below Tulane's lanes average of over 167 yards uh, per game so smu looks pretty pretty dominant i was pretty surprised uh in, impressed by the performance uh You know, especially going into the bowl games here at the end of the year. Should
1: have got the New Year's six slot over Liberty. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, because they played a tougher schedule and you know, the reason that the committee gave for putting Liberty in, although they didn't play a single power five team and have literally the worst schedule in college football this year, their reasoning was Liberty just kept winning games. Um so did Florida State, but Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two lanes. You mentioned the New York Six Bowl. This loss by Tulane knocked them out of the New Year's six bowl. I, I agree. SMU, by the way, they played this past weekend. Should have been should have been considered as the replacement in that New Year's Six bowl because they definitely showed it and they played really, really well. Uh last game real fast to get into New Mexico versus Liberty. Liberty dominated on offense. It kept their perfect season and New Year's six bid alive. Uh Caden Salter threw for two touchdowns and ran for another twenty for twenty five. 319 passing yards and rushed 12 times for 165 yards on the ground as well so that's over you know just just about 500 yards of total offense he absolutely balled out i was super impressed by him new mexico state put up numbers as well but just couldn't keep pace with how well uh salters played and what do you think about oregon playing liberty though i know we're gonna be you know uh, previewing the games as we go along here uh before the bowl games come up but do you think Oregon was a little bit disrespected by having Liberty as their matchup uh, coming up?
1: Well, they had to play someone, and Liberty's yeah. going to get the New Year Six slot, and we'll see if Bo Nix wants to play in the bowl game. Um, if he does, I think Oregon wins probably handily. If he doesn't, then I think it's a competitive game, and that's why picking bowl games is just almost impossible because now we don't know who's opting out. We don't know who's going to be leaving as far as the portal is hmm. concerned the teams that we're going to get in these bowl games are not the teams that we're seeing throughout the regular season.
0: Interesting. I mean, I know it's hard to do this, but it makes it, it brings up an interesting point though. And again, I don't know how this would work. I don't know how time-wise this, if this would even be possible for teams to do, but it almost would be interesting to see if teams had to, you know, have their finalized rosters uh, put out, prior to the bowl games being made i know that would be really really hard to do for obvious reasons but uh it'd be cool if you know we could have a system where uh you know the, the players that will play and the players that won't play were known before the bowl games and the bowl matchups were made so that you know we could make better matchups because that is a, that's a big problem with the bowl games is, are these players going to the draft sitting out and like you said zach the teams that we saw all year are not the teams that we're gonna see at the you know in december here so it, it would be a cool thing to see it's going to be super hard to implement never will happen but something to you know something to ponder uh that would be you know make better matchups for, for bowl games speaking of the bowl games though we'll uh we'll preview the you know the bigger bowl games new year six and then of course rose sugar bowl we'll, we'll preview all that a little bit later in a later episode but i did kind of want to touch base on the other bowl games that all the you know all the other you know bowl games that are scheduled to happen at the end of the year here, we'll kind of do it in the same way we always do it, guys. We'll do closest game, uh, most intriguing storyline, you know, upset alert, shootouts, snoozers. Uh, we'll do that for all the games. Like I said, that are not part of that New Year Six. We'll start with you, Zach. Out of the other and you know, all the other bowl games going on, um, what is a game that you can see being a pretty close matchup? I really
1: like the Arizona Oklahoma Alamo Bowl. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at Arizona. The story of the year in the Pac-12, potentially, as far as the surprise team with Noah Fafita. Jen Fish has done a great job out there. And they're actually three-point favorites over an Oklahoma team that just lost Dylan Gabriel. But that's a team that could have very easily been in the New Year's Six, uh, finished number 12. We'll see how Oklahoma responds to not having Dylan yep. Gabriel. We'll see how the backup quarterback looks. But that's a team that went 10-2, finished the regular season strong, and... You know, you get the Big 12 and the Pac-12 involved in a closed indoor stadium. I think you're going to see a lot of points.
0: I'm going to go with NC State, Kansas State. Uh, NC State has been underrated this entire year, in my opinion. Uh, Brendan Armstrong playing his best football, played awesome against UNC last week. Kansas State will be without their starting quarterback, Will Howard. Uh, he entered the transfer portal. KSU balanced overall, though. They enter the postseason as one of the 11th Power 5 teams, ranked inside the top 30 in scoring offense and scoring defense. Uh, of course, scoring about 38 points a game and uh, uh, only allowing 21 points per game. So pretty balanced team overall. Uh, and I think they're going to go up against an NC State team that has been flying under the radar. So this is going to be a close game. Expect a lot of points. And uh, it's going to come down to the wire, in my opinion. Justin, what is a game you can see being close uh, coming up here in two weeks? I could see the Cotton
2: Bowl being close between Ohio State and Missouri. Missouri, very flying under the radar this year as the ninth-ranked team, obviously going up against Ohio State, which is the seventh-ranked team. Only lost one game to Michigan this year. But this is a very, but this is going to be a very close game, in my opinion.
0: Most intriguing storyline, Zach. What do you have as a most intriguing game in your opinion?
1: Uh, most intriguing storyline. i um, outside of the New Year Six. I'm gonna go a little off the map here. I'm gonna go with Rutgers and Miami up at the Pinstripe Bowl. Do you think anybody from Miami wants to play in freezing cold New York against a New Jersey mm-hmm. team? Last time Miami went there, uh, they lost 35 to three against Wisconsin. They were having heaters on the sideline and. They looked like they were in Antarctica rather than New York, and now they get to go back up there and play a Rutgers team that you know showed some strides this year. They've got a good running game. Greg Sciano's the one man on this planet that can actually coach Rutgers to somewhat of success, and I think the Scarlet Knights have a real chance to pull an upset against a Miami team that you know they lost Tyler Van Dyke to the portal, and you really think they're going to be motivated to play that? I doubt it.
0: Uh, you, my most intriguing storyline is USC's offense without Caleb Williams. Uh, he's not playing. He's not going to play in the Holiday Bowl against Louisville. He threw for over 3,600 yards, 30 touchdowns during U- USC's disappointing 7-5 season. With Williams out, sophomore backup, uh, Miller Moss is expected to handle the starting quarterback duties during the Holiday Bowl. Um, yeah, I just want to see how he can do uh, in the three seasons at USC. Moss has super limited appearances. Um, yeah, I, I want to see what you know how the offense looks without, US, uh, without Caleb Williams under center at USC and if their defense can do enough to stop Louisville and ultimately get the win. Justin, what is your most intriguing storyline coming up at, out of the bowl games?
2: Well, my most intriguing storyline is Florida State, if they're going to boycott the Orange Bowl. I don't think they will. I don't think they're going yeah. to. But uh, I think it's going to be an intriguing game, both teams almost – In the top four with the college football playoffs, obviously, if Georgia didn't win Florida State, obviously, we've gotten into that. But for uh, Florida State and Georgia, I think this is going to be a very good game. Very intriguing. I
0: don't think they will boycott it. The Orange Bowl, it's four million dollars down the drain. Of course, if they do that, that's going to be really hard to do. But uh, I don't see them doing that. Just too much money on the table, as you can imagine. Surprise? Zach, any game you see being a surprise?
1: Again, it's so hard to predict these bowl right. games because we don't know who's going to be playing in them. Um, I think Wisconsin's going to have a chance against LSU. I know LSU's a 10 and a half point favorite, but I'm not sure that Jane Daniels is going to play that game. And LSU this yep. year has always struggled when they've gone up against physical teams. Wisconsin is a physical team, and they'll be as healthy as they've been all year at the quarterback position. I think Wisconsin's got a chance down the ReliQuest Bowl to keep it at least within 10 and a half, maybe have a chance to pull that out outright.
0: Uh, my surprise of the week or surprise of the bowl games, um, co- you know, coming up here, Texas A&M o- over Oklahoma state. Give me a rematch from the uh, 2019 Texas bowl. When the Aggies beat the Cowboys 24 to 21 Texas A&M, been a mess all season, firing Jimbo Fisher, botching up multiple games. It's been a season to forget for the Aggies. Uh, Oklahoma State is also extremely overrated, in my opinion. I know, Zach, you kind of already touched base on it a little bit earlier as well. This win can definitely start off a new era in College Station. Oklahoma State's offense is one-dimensional. Um, Ollie Gordon, he'll handle a chunk of the offense. Uh, he was shut down, of course, uh, this you know this past weekend. But um, Ollie Gordon, uh, he has 258 carries on the year. Over 1,600 yards on the ground and 20 TDs as well, but like I said, big problem for Oklahoma State is I think they are very one-dimensional on offense, and I think Texas A&M could have the potential to give them, uh, you know, give them some troubles coming up here. Texas A&M has been absolutely phenomenal at stopping the run all year. Opposing teams are running for an average of 3.3 yards per rush attempt, and they're only averaging 106.7 yards per game. So, yeah, give me Texas A&M over Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State's a little bit overrated, and uh, Texas A&M definitely wants to have a uh, good end of the season after a pretty tumultuous uh, season.
2: I'm actually going to go with Kentucky over Clemson. Clemson, a little bit overrated here. They're coming in at 22 ranked. I'm not sure they're a 22nd-ranked team. Kentucky, flying under the radar this year, I think they could
0: beat Clemson. Shootout, Zach. What is your shootout?
1: Uh, what's my rule involving shootouts typically? Take whatever game USC is involved in, and they're playing Louisville. And I think Louisville's offense, the ultimate cure, is going to be USC's defense. I think Jack Plummer, Javari Thrash, Jawar Jordan, again, this is all contingent on who's playing in the game. But I don't know if it matters, because Louisville's offense is going to unleash their frustrations after getting dominated by Florida State. USC's defense can't stop a nosebleed I think this is going to be the shootout because I don't know who USC's quarterback's going to be but Lincoln Riley the one thing I do trust about him is that he will have his quarterback ready to go and they will put up points so I'm going Louisville
0: USC Riley uh, this past week added that he expects uh, Moss to fully be in the mix for USC's starting job next season of course Moss being that Sophomore backup Miller Moss that I was talking about earlier. He is expected to play in lieu of Caleb Williams. My shootout of the week, uh, our shootout coming up in these bowl games: Arizona, Oklahoma. I know we've we've already touched based on Arizona and Oklahoma already. Um, Noah Fafida. Could potentially have been a sleeper for Heisman if he played the whole year. 2,500 yards on the season, 23 touchdowns with only five interceptions. Sixth best QBR in the FBS at 85.8. Six and two since becoming the starter at Arizona. His losses only came against Washington and USC. Good teams, all things considered, and those losses were only a combined nine points as well. He's an awesome decision-maker. You watch him play, he's great in the pocket, great at making last-minute decisions and overall smart decisions too. He goes along with that talented group of receivers as well in McMillan and Cowing uh, at his disposal. Oklahoma can light up the scoreboard as well, though. I mean, Dylan Gabriel, we saw what he's done in multiple games this year. He, need it. he does not need an introduction. He's been amazing with his receivers, Drake Stoops, Nick Anderson, serious threats. Dylan Gabriel is uh, transferring and unlikely to play in the bowl game, but does not mean that their offense is still very, very elite. And OU's defense hasn't been playing elite as of late either. They're going to allow Arizona to uh, light up the scoreboard as well. The Sooners are giving up 22.3 points per contest, which has them as 42nd. In D1 and all of FBS, and has given up a total of 1,774 yards rushing, and that's that's on the year as well, as well as 13 touchdowns on the ground over the course of the season. They have relinquished 268 points. So Arizona offense really good, underrated, and OU's defense pretty bad. But and it's going to be a shootout, and I'm I'm excited to see it. Justin, what is your shootout? Shootout.
2: I'm going to go. I'm going to go with. Um... I'm going to go with Ole Miss and Penn State. Okay. I think Penn State is going to be in a shootout here, and I expect Ole Miss to win this game. Penn State just can't beat the top teams. They can't win the big bowl games. I could go. I'll go with with Ole Miss here in a
0: shootout versus Penn State. Yeah. Snoozer of the upcoming bowl games? Uh,
1: any bowl game involving two 6-6 six, six teams. Like, we There's way too yeah. many of them to begin with. There's 84 bowl games. That's too many. But, you know, again, snoozer. Typically go with Iowa. They're playing Tennessee. Tennessee's overrated. What's the point of this game? It's going to be another yeah. low scoring, ugly game.
0: I'm going to go with Miami. Rutgers, yeah, I always go with Iowa for the snoozer. But for me, I'll go Miami. Rutgers, keep it, uh, try to get to as much games as possible in this rundown here. Both teams are pretty tough to watch, but both somehow win games. Miami doesn't have a lot of motivation in this game. Not playing against a high level bull. Rutgers has looked awful on offense all season long. Uh, Gavin Wimsett just can't throw the ball. I mean, the quarterback is a big, big big-time problem. That position is a big-time area of improvement that's needed for the team. Both teams, like Iowa Zach, are carried by strong defenses, uh, but their offense is just abysmal on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, this game is going to be a pretty, pretty ugly matchup, and I expect it to be a pretty low-scoring affair. Justin, what is your snoozer uh, for these bowl games coming up? Snoozer,
2: I got Toledo and Wyoming in the Arizona Bowl.
0: That's definitely going to be a snoozer. Before moving on to our complaints of the Week, guys, I do want to do a very, very quick recap on the NBA season tournaments. Of course, we're reaching the uh, semifinals now. Pelicans and Lakers will match up, and then Pacers and Bucks will match up as well. Pelicans have been hot all throughout this uh this in-season in tournament that we've been having depth on full display, Brandon Ingram, superstar status, Zion Williams, Braun James and the Lakers as well. They actually might have went undefeated in group play. So they've been playing pretty well. Pacers, Bucks will be in that East semis as well. I mentioned Halliburton in the past. I think it was, you know, on off the map or maker one of the, you know, one of the weeks I, I mentioned how well Halliburton has been playing this year. 23 years old, averaging 28 points, 13.4 rebounds, while he's shooting 50.5% from the field and 46.4% from the three point range. I'm super excited to see the Pacers and the Bucks. The Bucks obviously have Damian Lillard. Giannis they have a star-studded lineup but the Pacers have been really impressing me lately too
1: yeah I think they'll be interesting I mean you get the Bucs are the established team that we all expect to compete for the Eastern Conference title and the Pacers this is a big thing for them I mean this is a franchise that hasn't tasted a whole lot of success in recent memory Tyrese Halliburton's been one of the best players in the league this season Mm -hmm. there's no doubt about that and this could be a statement for the Pacers if they're able to win this game and as far as the Lakers and Pelicans are concerned I, I like what I'm seeing out of the Lakers a strong start to the season For them, of course, we all know what they can be with the healthy LeBron and with the healthy Anthony Davis. We saw it toward the end of the regular season and the postseason last year. I think this team is very intriguing. And for the Pelicans, you know, again, another kind of opportunity. We all expect the Lakers and the Bucks to be there at the end of the season. We don't necessarily expect the Pacers and the Pelicans to be there, so this is an opportunity for them to uh, kind of arrive on the national stage.
0: Yeah, nothing can stop LeBron, too. 31 points, 11 rebounds, and 8 assists, and a win against Phoenix, of course, that led them into the semifinal matchup. He's making a career-high 62.6% on his field goals and averaging his most points per shot attempt since he left the Heat. The only players with more total field goal attempts in the restricted area are Antetokounmpo, Williamson, and Anthony Davis. Pacers-Bucks, I do want to mention the Pacers and the Bucks did play each other this year already at Cambridge Fieldhouse. Uh, Pacers did come away with that win, 126-124. to Close matchup then, and it's it's going to be another close matchup uh, coming up. Giannis Factor, of course, Zach, you already mentioned it, 54 points and pulling down 12 rebounds while going for 19 for 25 from the field. Uh, you know, in their previous matchup. Um, He was also a two-way force on Tuesday's quarterfinal win uh, over New York, tallying 35 points, amazing shooting, eight rebounds, 10 assists, and three steals as well. Overall, I know we kind of talked about it on, I think it was Saturday's show, but have you guys been impressed by the product of the in-season tournament? I know we already mentioned how the rankings and the ratings have been up since last year. Yeah, I think it's successful,
2: I mean, in my opinion, as I've kept saying, I think it should be moved to January and February, let's Mm -hmm. say, instead of now. But uh, I I think the in-season tournament is intriguing. I think it is interesting. I think it's giving teams in smaller markets, let's say, a chance to win and a chance for recognition. So I think it's intriguing, but I also think it should be moved to kind of later in the season, midway through the season, to make things a little more interesting than uh than it is now it might be a little bit too early but again it's to get the players uh you know kind of off of the load management because that's what the nba is cracking down on this year but i think that uh i i think that this will be something to go forward through with uh with the
0: nba and i think the in-season tournament should be should be more intriguing i know that's the biggest reason they wanted to have it early in the season because uh and no, you just said it Justin they have a they have a really hard time getting viewership and getting engagement early on in the season and which of course is because of football but i know that's the biggest reason adam silver wanted to have it on they have to figure out the scheduling because of course these there's 22 teams now that have not moved on to the knockout stage in this in-season tournament and uh of course, at the end of the season, all teams have to have the same amount of games played. And so I know the NBA, they have to figure out basically how to schedule uh, the remaining games for those 22 other teams that did not move on in the tournament to, again, like I said, make sure that everyone has the same amount of games at the end of the season. Let's move on to complaint tips, guys. Zach. Start off with you. What is your complaint of the the week?
1: Well, I'm not just going to stick to the playoff committee. I'm going to go to baseball, and I'm going to go to Buster Olney saying Shohei Otani's secretive free agency is a missed opportunity for him in Major League Baseball. Why? Shohei Otani is free to do whatever he wants as far as his meetings are concerned, as far as discussing where he wants to go. Everybody wants to label free agent stars as prima donnas if they're taking – massive meetings and they're making a big deal out of their free agency. And now Shohei Otani's doing the low key approach. And all of a sudden it's a major missed opportunity for him and for baseball. It's not our business, what he wants to do as far as make taking meetings or whatever. And, you know, it goes back to Stephen A. Smith saying he can't be the most marketable guy in baseball. If he can't speak English, like I, what do people want out of Shohei Ohtani? I just, I just don't know.
0: Talked about it with Jeff Flet- Fletcher a little bit ago too. Uh, last week we had him on and he mentioned how his, his, uh, the agent uh, basically encourages him and instructs him not to really speak to the media much. And I know that kind of makes a lot of fans mad, but I agree with you, Zach, that he can do whatever he wants to do. He's, he's earned it. My only thing that gets me a little bit annoyed with Shohei Otani is, I don't think he's going to go to any East Coast team. I know he's had meetings with uh, teams on the East Coast. I really don't see him leaving the West Coast. I, if there's one thing I've heard pretty consistently about Shohei Otani is that he's very interested and most likely will be staying on the West Coast in some way. My complaint is the state of college sports right now. Uh, after nearly three years of NIL being in effect, things have gotten a little bit out of hand. College football season ends every season. The transfer portal goes wild with players entering it, and now the main draw a player will have to go to a certain school is money. Mid tier schools that aren't football heavy or basketball bluebloods have pretty much no chance of you know attracting players. Uh, they don't have the monetary fighting that they you know the other schools do. These big football programs and these big basketball programs go. Uh, everything is just narrated, narrated now and motivated now by money, and it's pretty much running wild and just getting out of control. Matt Rule said uh, it best that an average cost of a court, good quarterback in the transfer portal is $1 to $2 million. That's more than a lot of rookies make in the NFL. A lot of rookie contracts in the NFL aren't even that much. Don't even sniff that. With all that's happening, it's no one will ever be able to compete, and parity will absolutely start to happen in college if it hasn't already happened already because it's going to be a, a fight of have and have nots. Who has the money will obviously, obviously get the best players and then – the teams, the smaller schools that don't have as much money will be pretty much left on the back back burner. And this is all in consideration, of course, with the conference realignments that we'll be seeing over the next three, four years as well. So, Justin, what is your complaint of the week? So my complaint of the week is
2: analytics. I think analytics is being a little bit too overused. And now it's kind of coming into the NFL. It's kind of creeping in. That's why some teams are not have that's yeah. why offenses are down this year. I mean, could somebody tell me, is this an offensive league or is this a defensive league? You invest in the quarterback. You invest in the offense. You invest in the offensive line. I mean, you invest in offense completely, but not the defense. Not a great year for offenses. Is analytics getting in the way? Too much.
0: Interview, Scott Abram. Awesome interview. 7ABC in Washington, D.C. Going to break down the Commanders, uh, uh, Capitals, Nationals as well, uh, Wizards even a little bit. Wizards, absolutely terrible right now. Uh, they having a, a miserable season. Uh, tanking a year too late. We'll get into that. Nationals might be up and coming next season. A team to look out for. Scott will break that, that down with us as well. Commanders, off-season moves they'll have to do uh can they ever get a quarterback we don't know we'll see well time will tell and then uh yeah what's keeping capitals fans motivated right now to go to games despite uh, a pretty bad season they're having all things considered so we'll break all that down with him coming up awesome interview But without further ado let's head to the nation's capital and talk to scott Okay, we now head to Washington, D.C., bring on Scott Abraham from 7 News in D.C., ABC affiliate. Really appreciate your time. Talk all things D.C. sports. Commanders, particularly, we're going to start with them. This year has been pretty shaky. All things considered, the Commanders did start off pretty hot. And, of course, over over the second half of the season, things have been flaming a little bit, despite the new ownership that came in. But I do want to ask you with that in mind, with the new ownership, And Rivera obviously not getting the job done in Washington. What are the fans asking for? I know the season at this point might be a little bit of a wash. It's, you know, gonna be very hard, if not impossible, to make the playoffs at this point. Are fans really clamoring for him to get fired now and give another coach a chance to see what he can do these, you know, these next four or five games, these last four or five games of the season?
3: Jared, thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Glad to be on your program. Uh, in terms of where the fans are at right now, there, there's just a lot of frustration because uh, it seems like year after year, it's a franchise that's stuck in the mud. This is year number four for Ron Rivera in Washington, and it hasn't gone well uh, for, for Rivera in Washington. Aside from that 2020 campaign where they finished 7-9 and somehow miraculously won the division, hosted a playoff game, not a lot of success. Uh, unfortunately, he's probably going to be gone at the end of the season. And that's what the fans want. They want some change. They want some new blood, a new direction. And it'll be up to the ownership group of Josh Harrison Company to figure out what they're going to do in terms of probably hiring a new GM. That GM will probably hire the coach and so on. So I think it's going to be a big house cleaning after the season. They got four games left on the schedule. They're on the bye week right now. And they're just kind of playing out the string here where they're at the Rams, at the Jets, home against the Niners, home against the Cowboys. Not a lot of expectations. They're probably going to finish with a top five draft pick. So in terms of enticing a new GM or a new, or a new head coach to come to Washington to, to lead this franchise, having a lot of salary cap space, having a top five pick in the NFL draft, and a lot of extra draft picks will be enticing uh, for somebody to take over this franchise.
0: Let's talk about the draft pick coming up, though. I mean, I, I've been hearing a lot of different things about Sam Howe. Uh, some -hmm. people say he's the guy. Some people say he's not the guy. Uh, what do you think they end up doing with, as you mentioned, this most likely will be a top five draft pick coming up, uh, this offseason?
3: Yeah, it's a great question, Jared, because that was one of the big question marks coming into the season is what Sam Howell going to be like, is he going to be that guy? Is he going to be that franchise quarterback? I think the jury's still out. I think he's in the conversation at least to be the starter for 2024, it's been a mixed bag for Sam Howell. The good, the bad, the ugly. He's shown glimpses of that. Hey, he can really sling it when he gets outside the pocket. He can make something happen. But then there's other times where he's the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. Uh, he throws a lot of interceptions, turnovers, pick sixes, head scratching decisions. But that's all to be expected with a young quarterback. So he's in the conversation. I'll say this: is if Washington is in position to get a quarterback. Uh, a Drake May, a Bo Nix, a uh, Caleb Williams—you gotta look into the future. And if one of those guys will be there in that top five range, you might have to have some serious discussions in that draft room if you're going to bring in another quarterback. Because I think, for the most part, people are not sold just yet on Sam Howell after one year.
0: What would be an adi- like what? What else would they get uh, in the draft? What would be their top priority in the draft if it wasn't a quarterback?
3: Yeah, so I mentioned that Sam Howell's the most sacked quarterback in the National Football League, so you look at the offensive line. The offensive line has been a nightmare at times for Washington, and Howell just doesn't have enough time to throw the football. Sometimes that's on Howell for holding on to the football too long. Other times it's on the offensive line. So they have to definitely upgrade the offensive line somewhere in the draft. The defense has been a big disappointment. They were expected to be a top-10 defense. And it's been just another nightmare. You know, they traded away Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Linebacking play has been not great. Secondary hasn't been great. So they're going to have to put in some pieces in that defense to to get that improved. They fired Jack Del Rio, the defensive coordinator, after that Thanksgiving Day massacre in Dallas. So uh, a lot of pieces they have to kind of implement into this roster They've they've missed on a lot of draft picks during this Ron mm-hmm. Rivera era. They've missed on free agent signings during this Ron Rivera era. So they're gonna have to play catch up because, in terms of talent discrepancy, you look at that game against the Miami Dolphins. You look at that game against Dallas, mismatched, blown off the field, and just the the gap of talent was was
0: alarming. Yeah, definitely, I want to go back to Jack Del Rio Rio and. In- reference to Rivera were people surprised that he was the one that was fired and not uh, Rivera. Cause I know a lot of people, I mean, as we already alluded to at the beginning of this interview, a lot of people were wanting Rivera fired and not, not necessarily Jack Del Rio.
3: Yeah. You could say Jack was a scapegoat or, or band-aid God. in a sense. Uh, what, what fans did want, they, they wanted some flesh. They wanted some blood. They wanted a change. And that was Jack Del Rio. They're going to get their flesh and blood in full at the end of the season when Josh Harris is probably going to clean house. They're just fed up with all the losses and the inconsistencies. And the defense has been, as I mentioned, the biggest disappointment because Mm -hmm. coming into the season, the big question marks were on offense. How was Sam Howell going to perform? How was this offense going to look? Not the defense per se, because they had a lot of draft capital on that defensive line. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Chase Young, montez sweat that was supposed to be the calling card the strength of the team and is it on the coaching for having too much of a complex scheme was it on coaching not putting on not putting the players in position to succeed or was it simply the players not performing up to their capabilities there had to have been a fall guy jack del rio was that fall guy
0: i mean i'm sure the fan base has just been very pleased by the change of ownership though Uh, So far, I mean, I know it's only been one year. Tell me overall, just the hype the fans have been having with this new ownership, uh, considering the fact that The prior ownership, of course, was not very well liked. Have fans really been seeing anything so far from this new ownership yet? I mean, uh, as you as someone that covers the team, have you been seeing any uh, positive headway from this new ownership yet? Or is it really just kind of too early to tell?
3: Yeah, Josh Harris took over in July and there was initial pop, right? Excitement, optimism, uh, a new era in Washington. And then the reality kind of hit again where, oh no, they suck again or they're struggling again where the losses keep piling up. And The honeymoon period is over for Josh Harrison Company. Now they want to see change. Now they want to see a head coach, a new front office, and pointing this team in the right direction. Uh, Josh has been much more visible than Dan Snyder in the community and engaging with the fan base, which is always a positive. He's put in uh, a lot of money into FedEx Field, uh, one of the oldest stadiums in the NFL. They're going to get a new stadium down the line, but in order to band-aid it in a sense, they had to, put some money into it, put some improvements into it, new sound system, new video boards, uh, give the fan a better experience at FedEx Field. So Josh Harris and company has done that by sinking in uh, an an eight-figure investment into FedEx Field. So, you know, anything is better than Dan Snyder in the fans' eyes uh, because, unfortunately, the team was in the headlines for all the wrong reasons when Dan Snyder was the owner, And, and right now, uh, with Josh Harris, you don't have those off-the-field distractions, which is certainly helpful to the players and the coaching staff, where they can just focus on the product on the field.
0: Any um, new headway on maybe the, what the name could be next year? I know there's a lot of um, talk about them going away from the Commanders uh, into yeah. something else. And has there any been has there been any more news, any more headway on the on what that might potentially bring?
3: Yeah, Josh Harris has been very vocal, saying that's not, not on his priority list right now. So the name's going to stay for the time being. It's definitely not going to go back to the old name, what, what they were called, the Washington Redskins. So for now, it's going to be the Washington Commanders. I think the priority, number one, is to get the on-the-field product going in the right direction. So figuring out the front office, the coaching staff. And then the other big layer is the stadium, trying to get a new stadium where that's going to be and getting the funding and getting the backing from politicians and all that red tape so there's a lot of different priorities ahead of figuring out the name and the branding for Josh Harris so for now the commander's name is going to stay
0: our fans frustrated not only just by the losses in general of course I mean on a four game losing streak here going into the bye week but uh my my takeaway from the uh commanders you know is a national fan outside looking in is they just seem to be very inconsistent on offense. Cause there definitely has been some games where they they've shown some flashes.
3: Yeah. The that's the, the putting your head against the wall and pounding it, or the inconsistencies of it's a Jekyll and Hyde type of personality, right? You, you take the Philadelphia Eagles to the wire in two straight games should have won both of those games. And then you get blown out by the Chicago bears or you get blown out by the Miami dolphins, or you lose twice to the New York giants. It's just like this team, you can't figure them out. And offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy sometimes feels like he still has Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey on the offense that like he did in Kansas city. And that's not the case. And sometimes he gets too pass happy. And that's a frustration where you kind of go away from the running game too quickly, or you forget about the running game and you got to get Brian Robinson jr involved or Antonio Gibson more involved instead of, dropping Sam Howell back 40 times a game. He's not Patrick Mahomes. You can't you can't make Sam Howell into Patrick Mahomes. So I think that's where the disconnect is right now with the offense and Eric Bienieme and Howell and what the fans expectations are with the offense.
0: Unfortunately, like I said, probably not going to make the playoffs at this point. I think they all but are eliminated uh it 's going to be very very hard for them to make a playoffs but we 'll see what happens I, I know it might take some time and I guess my last question before we kind of do more of a rapid style style with the wizards uh capitals and nationals what um mm-hmm. how is, just how 's the patience been with the fan base so far because obviously it 's been it 's been quite the over the not only just last year or this year even but it, you know over the fan of many commanders or over the lifespan of many commanders fans it 's been quite the patience. Do you get a sense that maybe the fan base might be losing some patience in the team uh, despite this new ownership coming in?
3: Partly the fan base is immune because they're just so used to this. Mm -hmm. They're so used to losing and the frustrations and the inconsistencies. I think patience is long gone. You know, they're, they're almost becoming immune and it's becoming expected. And that's partly why, the stadium is only half full with commanders fans and the other half is invaded by the opposing teams. Either season ticket holders are selling off their tickets on third party sites for the opposing fans to buy them, or they're just not buying tickets Mm -hmm. because they want to support a winner. And right now over the last couple of decades, this Washington NFL franchise has not been a winner and there's hope that Josh Harris can have that golden touch mm-hmm. and maybe turn this around. It's going to take time. And I don't know if the patience is there, but until they see a winning product consistently, not just a one year flash in the pan type deal, I think you're going to see more half filled stadiums at FedEx Field.
0: Yeah, I mean, even the quarterback play alone, right? Just, just, They can never seem to get a quarterback that can be that guy, that can be nope. that consistent presence. I mean, I mean, how many quarterbacks have they gone through over these last 15, 20 years?
3: There's some, there's some crazy number. Yeah. I think it's in the 20s, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's one fan that actually has a jersey with all the different names of the quarterbacks Jeez. that they've gone through since, um, like, the Mark Ripon days Jeez. when they won their last Super Bowl. I mean, just think of all the different quarterbacks from RG3, Kirk Cousins, and um, Brian Fitzpatrick, Alex Smith, and so on, Rex Grossman, Mark Sanchez. Uh, it's it's unbelievable, and that's the big problem, Jared. You know in the NFL, quarterback is the most important position in, in all of sports, yep. and if you don't have that quarterback, that franchise quarterback, you're probably not going to win a Super Bowl. Yep. It's very rare to get to a Super Bowl and win it. You look at the Ravens back in the day with Trent Dilfer. They had that amazing defense. Maybe a Brock Purdy. I mean, Brock Purdy with the Niners. He's playing very well, but he has very good surrounding pieces yep. around him and a really good defense that makes him look good. So, yeah, you don't necessarily have to have a franchise quarterback. It's hard to win without one, but Washington is his proof. It, it doesn't go well if you don't have that franchise quarterback
0: fitting all those names um on that jer- on that jersey would be harder than the names on the stanley cup at this point i mean it's like you said it's right. been it's been quite the it's been quite the uh yeah journey speaking of stanley cup though i want to touch on the capitals a little bit we'll do uh wizards capitals nationals very rapid fire i know you have to get going here a little bit uh pretty much one question for each uh each of the teams we're gonna start with the capitals uh ovechkin Getting closer to that all-time scoring record. It's still very early in the season. How's the fan base been uh, with the Capitals so far? Are they exceeding expectations? Or are they below where the fa- expectations where the fan base would want them right now? I mean, how are they? How are they playing right now as far as uh, what was expected of the team going into the season?
3: I think the fan base is really clinging to this goal chase mm-hmm. with Ovi trying to chase Wayne Gretzky. Yep. I think they've come to the realization that this is a aging core. It's a veteran group. Nicholas Backstrom is done. Yeah. Like he's basically just walked away from hockey. TJ Oshie's always injured. He's getting older. And to make a run at the Stanley Cup, I think it's far-fetched. You got too many young up and coming teams in the Eastern Conference of like the Buffaloes and the Detroit's. Uh, it's going to be really tough for Washington to make a run at the Stanley Cup. So I think fans are reserved of the fact that they're just going to sit back and enjoy history. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they've seen Alex Ovechkin from day one, homegrown talent, hasn't played for another team, a capital for life where Wayne Gretzky, Edmonton, and LA Kings and St. Louis and the Rangers, and Ovi's been a capital for life. And he's going to eventually pass Gretzky. It's going to take another couple of years, but, that's going to be a remarkable moment and yep. i think that's what fans are really when they come when they come to games jared they want to see alex Ovechkin score yeah. i mean that's that's a big reason why they go to the games they want to see ov score and, and get closer to that record
0: story within the game i mean storyline within the game i mean that's yep. it's enough sometimes to you know keep interest in a team despite if they're struggling a little bit by their standards speaking of storylines within the game though uh, Quick question on the Wizards. They stink. They stink. Well, my question, though, for you, and again, uh, going back to kind of what we said with Ovechkin, keeping fan base engaged and interested, uh, a weird kind of way to look at it, are fans excited that they are doing as bad as they are? Because obviously the worse you do, the better draft.
3: They should have stunk last year. Yeah. They could have got
0: Wembenyama. Yeah.
3: That, 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 I think that's the... A year too late. That, that's the frustration <laughs> is they were a year too late because... You know, they had an opportunity to kind of so-called tank and throw in the towel and rebuild last year, but they were stuck in this middle ground with Porzingis and Beal, and they had a chance to get Wembenyama, and they missed the boat. And now their rebuild, the draft, the next year's draft isn't as strong. Um, you know, they don't play a look of defense. They got Kuzma. They got Jordan Poole. They got some young players in Denny Abdia, Corey Kispert.
0: Yep.
3: I mean – it's it's nothing really exciting about the Wizards. Again, they go to the games to see the opposing team star. Giannis coming to town, yep. LeBron coming to town, a Butler from Miami coming to town. Yep. There's nothing really exciting about the Wizards right now. You're gonna see a lot of points, but other than that, <laughs> it's uh, it's gonna be a number of years. Number of they got new new front office, new GM, um, and they're going to take their approach and do what they got to do and hopefully they can turn into like an OKC or, or a team like that where they have to rebuild through the draft get young get hungry get faster get quick and five years they'll be you know yeah. uh, a team that's feisty and competitive yeah
0: you talk about patience and, and I, I always mention it uh, whenever I talk about NBA uh, you know that danger dangerous zone of like that uh, purgatory zone I always kind of call it you know you can't you're not good enough to go far in the playoffs or even make the playoffs but you're not bad enough to get to get a good draft they together. were in
3: purgatory for a number of many, years yeah
0: many years so uh yeah we'll we'll see what happens 11 out of the 12 games they've lost now 12 last you know 12 past games lost 11 of them teams scoring 130 points in average in those games average
3: 130 yeah, which is, average 130 yep. that's sick yeah
0: well I I I, I don't even and know. The,
3: the, the sad part is, their head coach Wes Unsell Jr. was supposed to be a defensive guru, a defensive expert. They got him from, I believe, Denver as an assistant coach, and he was really focused on uh, the defense and the defensive sets. I mean, hello, it's just—I uh, just—it's so frustrating.
0: Yeah, no, it's—you uh, talk about like I said, patience. Again, they they thats a fan base that's also been having a lot of patience lately. Um, My last question, Nationals, speaking of patients as well, they've been having a couple of uh, tough past years as well. Uh, Last season, of course, um, finishing last in the NL East, 71 wins, not even sniffing the playoffs in that division. But what are, what's, what's the hopes for this offseason with the Nationals coming up? Uh, anything exciting in particular that the team is looking into doing uh, that might help them get back to the playoffs or at least being able to at least sniff the playoffs uh, next year and get back to winning ways?
3: Out of the four major professional teams in Washington, D.C., I think there's the most hope and optimism with the Washington Nationals okay. because – They have a lot of young players and young talent currently on the roster, but most importantly, in the minor leagues in the farm system. Remember, they unloaded Juan Soto, unloaded Max Scherzer, got a boatload of prospects, and those prospects are raking in the minors. They picked up Dylan Cruz in the draft, who was that stud from LSU. He could be Bryce Harper 2.0. They got some good arms, some strong arms in the trades, like a McKenzie Gore, uh, Josiah Gray, who was an all-star. So it's going to take another couple of years. Remember, they won the World Series in 2019. So now they're going through this rebuild. Fans are hopeful they're only a couple more years away from sniffing the playoffs. And as you know, if you get in the dance, you get in the playoffs, you can get hot and go all the way. Pitching is always the greatest equalizer in the playoffs. I'd love to see them get some more arms, a veteran starter in free agency, get themselves a corner outfielder in free agency. But I'm excited about the young talent coming up from the farm system. Yeah, Keep your eye on the Nationals because uh, they got the guys like a James Wood, a Dylan Cruz uh, that are going to be household names in Major League Baseball. Were
0: fans upset when they didn't keep the momentum? Um, from winning the world series back in 2019 because it's it's amazing how fast they did kind of well, so off.
3: weird because remember remember covid hit right jared yeah, so right. they won in 2019 and then covid hit and they <laughs> never really got their yeah. celebration they never got their true basking in all of it and that 2020 year was just a freaking bust and after that uh it was kind of like dynamite match and hmm. boom uh everything kind of got blown up and Yeah, it was was sad in a way that you couldn't really bask in the championship glory. Um, And there was some frustrating years, 2021, 2022. But this past year, I think fans saw the promise and how this team was scratching and clawing and really made a good run in August. Uh, A bunch of young players and they're holding on to the fact that they see the farm system and see what's on the horizon maybe they're going to have a young steven strasburg 2.0 rise up from the minor leagues and be in the majors yeah. maybe they're going to have a young bryce harper 2.0 rise up from the minors and get in the majors yep. that's where the hope and the optimism comes from yeah
0: it's a good point you make though about the I, it, you somehow amazingly forget about it but covid yeah it, it, they won the world series in that weird year in 2020 happened i think what they only played yep. 60 games that year or something it was 60 some games yeah yep. and they yeah it was a, such a weird season and bad timing for the nationals all things considered yeah like you said and so mm-hmm. hopefully uh the young talent that they have in the farm system comes up they can show out and uh yeah get this team back to winning ways so we'll, we'll have to see and uh like you said might be a team that we have to look out for uh this uh this year despite being in the same division as you know the mets Braves, phillies and marlins who have all been pretty yeah, tough division yeah probably the best division you could maybe argue in baseball right now uh well scott It's been awesome. I really appreciate your time. I know you have to get going here, uh, but we'll definitely be in touch and would love to have you on again in the future. Hopefully uh, things can, hopefully we we see brighter days soon down the line for, uh, for Washington sports.
3: Great, Jared. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work.
0: All right, Scott, we'll be in touch. Thanks so much. All right, let's finish up the show with our makers and fakers of the week. Justin, what is your maker of the week?
2: My maker of the week is Alabama knocking off the top ranked team in the country in Georgia in the SEC title game, Alabama, there is debate whether they should be in the college football playoff or not, but that is a signature win against Georgia, and Georgia will not be in the college football playoff as the number one seed.
0: My maker, uh, I'm going to go with Patrick Beverly. Uh, against the Celtics last Friday, the Sixers were without their two top scorers, Maxie and Embiid. They needed someone to sc- uh, step up, and that happened to be Patrick Beverly. Uh, he rose to the occasion. 26 points eight rebounds, seven assists for Philadelphia. In his previous outings, he only amassed 12 points, but greater opportunity in their top scorers out. Beverly let the ball fly, shooting 60% from from the three-point line. Outside the arc, got hot early and never really looked back. The veteran guard hadn't scored more than six points before this week, but he scored in double digits for his past three straight games while making eight of his 11 total three-pointers on the year during that stretch as well. Pat Bev stepping up. For the, for the Sixers, especially when it matters most, uh, uh, you know, with Embiid uh, being out and Maxi as well. Zach, what is your maker of the week?
1: My maker of the week is going to be Brock Purdy, 314 yards, four touchdowns. He's an MVP candidate. And I think it's time we stop looking at Brock Purdy as a game manager and stop looking at him as Mr. Irrelevant and just start looking at him as a really good quarterback because he's in the top 10, basically every major passing statistic you want to come up with. And what was the main reason that the 49ers didn't feel They were in a fair fight against the Eagles last year because Brock Purdy got hurt. Well, he's available this week, and he showed that he is a major difference maker for this team. Debo Samuel obviously had a big day. Christian McCaffrey had a big day. But Brock Purdy is the straw that stirs the 49ers' drink. And right now, this is the best team in football. And I think we've got to stop labeling him as a game manager and just start recognizing him as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Brock Purdy's the maker of the week.
0: The narrative of him you know, being a systems quarterback and wouldn't really be successful anywhere else. I mean, it was rampant early in the season, but now um, now the 49ers are rolling the way they are and he's playing the best ball. I think he has the highest QBR in the league and probably a lot of other yes. high the highs of the league, too. Just a general good quarterback. Faker of the week. Justin, what is your faker of the week? Faker of the week for me is the committee for the
2: college football playoff selection, leaving off undefeated Florida State. I mean, what a hard committee to, to please here. 13-0, and 0 and you don't make it into the college football playoffs? Come on already. This is why going to 12 teams next year, as I've kept saying, is the right
0: move. My uh, faker of the week, uh, Michigan State basketball. I don't know what happened prior to the season. Michigan State was a favorite for not only the Big Ten crown, but maybe the NCAA title as well. Uh, from a coaching perspective, it doesn't, really seem like Izzo knows what he wants this team to be. All of his players have been so streaky and just been very inconsistent and had inconsistent, inconsistent stretches of late. Uh, Izzo looks hesitant to build the offense around Tyson Walker. Nothing he's doing on offense is working. Uh, no one's hitting shots. I mean, they're at, like one of the lowest shooting percentage teams in the league. Uh, Izzo just keeps cycling through them, uh, cycling through his players, hoping things might work differently. But with losses to JMU, Duke, Arizona, Wisconsin, they are sliding down the Big Ten rankings and sliding down fast, let alone the national rankings. Duke, Arizona and Wisconsin are solid ranked teams, but the Spartans were projected to be a top four team and they have not lived to those expectations at all. So they have to figure out things fast. team with high expectations just have not been uh, living to those expectations so far this year. Zach finishes off. What is your faker of the week?
1: So Justin mentioned the committee. I'm going to go to ESPN. I'm going to go to Kirk Herbstreet, Greg McElroy, and Dan Orlovsky, three mediocre quarterbacks trying to tell us how important good quarterback play is. So Herbstreet has been trying to get Alabama in the playoff for weeks now, saying Florida State before the Jordan Travis injury wasn't a lock for the college football playoff. And then he's trying to poo-poo going undefeated and say, oh, it's the eye test. Oh, it's the four best teams. Well, you know, Kirk Herbstreet, like I've said, doesn't know anything about playing the quarterback position and the, the the whole takes. You know there were tweets that he had earlier in the season. If you win out, you're undefeated. You should be in the playoff. And he said the same thing about Florida State nine years ago. So you talk about a hypocrite and a guy that's probably bought out by ESPN trying to uh you know the S- get get being given the SEC talking points. Herb Streets doing that. Greg McElroy switched his position. He said Florida State should have been in the playoff last week. Uh, this is after Jordan Travis got hurt. Now, all of a sudden, the former Alabama quarterback wants Alabama in the playoff. Geo. wonder why? You know, Greg McElroy talking about bad quarterback play. Well, the guy threw for 50 yards in the national championship game, so he should know. Dan Orlovsky, two weeks ago, after Jordan Travis got hurt, said Florida State, if they went out, they belong in the college football playoff. And then Dan Orlovsky, again, flipped his opinion, saying that this Florida State team did not go undefeated. Um, yes, they did. Yep. They went undefeated, whether they have Jordan Travis or didn't have Jordan Travis. 13-0 is 13 and 0 so everybody just flip-flopping their positions. It's getting harder and harder to think that these guys are not being bought by ESPN and not being told what to say as far as the bias towards the yeah. SEC. It's sickening. And these quarterbacks that didn't do a damn thing in the NFL trying to tell me how important good quarterback play is,
2: get out of here. Hey, just like David Carr saying uh, Jalen Hurts should be on the bench and Marcus Mariota should start a big game against Dallas. <laughs> he almost made my faker.
1: Yeah. That, that, yeah, really. Guys just really want to go viral.
0: That's what it is. It's, it's a it's weird because like some guys want to go viral, but then you mentioned Zach with the people at ESPN. Uh, a lot of them don't want to. A lot of them just want to say whatever everyone else is saying too. They don't want to really rock a boat too much because that's why they change the position so much. Because whatever is trending at that time, I don't think they you know they're always so afraid to kind of go against what's trending on you know social, what's on online. But then the other end of the spectrum like you you know you do get guys that just want to go viral too by saying crazy things so yeah media media is crazy whatever works whatever you know rocks people's boats that's what they're gonna do good show uh back on saturday preview nfl week 14 coming up a lot to get into some good games coming up good matchups especially as you know we head down the stretch of the nfl season here only like four or five games to go for all the teams and you know a lot of uh, playoff races coming uh, in, into contention we'll do it all then till then keep on traveling and we will see you on saturday